And a warm welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show. How are you doing? Are you well? Have you had a nice weekend? You have. Freezing it is here in Salford. Temperatures plummeting to minus four, minus five degrees tonight. It is winter. Today is the 16th of January, 2023. I'm the BBG. I've got two brilliant guests lined up for you today. I'll tell you who they are in a moment. You can reach out to me during the programme via the usual, well, just do it the usual way. Go through richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live. That is the best way to reach your BBG today. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Right, what is the Scottish Union for Education? Well, the sociologist and criminologist Stuart Waiton, PhD, the author, he'll be on to tell us. You don't want to miss him. It's been a while since we've heard from Stuart. He'll be talking about the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland, amongst other things. Stuart Waiton is the guest this hour. Uh, coming up in hour two, Dr. Thomas Binder is a Swiss cardiologist. Do you remember what happened to him back in 2020? when he had the temerity, the audacity to stand up and stand out and speak out against lockdowns. And then when he warned us that the mRNA jabs would be deadly, the man was sectioned. Well, thankfully, he's still working as a cardiologist. Dr. Thomas Binder joins the programme. So it's Stuart Waiton, PhD, Thomas Binder. Monday it is, the 16th of January, 2023. And I'm the BBG. How are you? You're all right. I know I've asked you already. I know. But uh, I do mean it. I do mean it. Where am I going to start today then? There's so many places I could start. The gays want to get married in the Church of England and it might yet happen. We refer to our homosexual brethren and sistren as the gays. Now the cabinet minister Penny Mordaunt uh, today became the very first cabinet minister to call on the church to scrap the ban on gay marriage. She did. Bishops are consulting and next month they will make a recommendation to the General Synod or Synod. How do you pronounce that? I haven't a Scooby-Doo. Now, gays, now, gays, listen up, gays. Classic example here of give an inch and you take a mile. We stopped beating the shite out of you for holding hands and dancing together in nightclubs. We stopped chasing you down the streets of London and Glasgow and Belfast, even though it was great sport altogether. We stopped blaming you for AIDS, even though you had nothing to do with AIDS. That's besides the point. We stopped blaming ye. We made national treasures out of the village people, gays. We allowed you to ruin music by stacking the charts with shit from your divas like Kylie Minogue and Britney, Madonna, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey and lately Adele. You've ruined music the gays. Uh, Ricky Martin. We gave you all the TV presenting jobs. You're everywhere, the gays. That shitty drag queen programme, RuPaul. We've given, we've given, we've given, we've given you the run of the planet, the gays. I even served one time as resident DJ at Gecko Gay Nightclub in Waterford City. I spent a three-hour set with my eyes firmly shut with the debauchery going on around me. The sin. But it stops here, gays, because... The baby Jesus doesn't want you getting married in his house. 
That's the end of it now. Uh, Christians don't like homosexuality. They believe it's an abomination. Sodomy is right out. Get married somewhere else, lads and lassies, and non-binaries. You've been given enough now. Four minutes past the hour. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, wants to appoint a free speech czar. I don't know if you've seen this. Shall I repeat that? Yes, Rishi Sunak has said, um, do you know, I I want to appoint a free speech czar. Yeah. What kind of fuckery are you? Yes, fuckery, because this is the man who oversaw the booting out of the party of Andrew Bridgen. The North Leicestershire MP was kicked out of the party because, well, he questioned the safety of the COVID jobs. And now Rishi Sunak wants to protect free speech on campuses, so he does. Wants to make it impossible for speakers to be cancelled because of their controversial views. Have a listen to Naomi Cunningham, the chair of Sex Matters UK. Here she is speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer this morning on Talk TV. Certainly not not the answer to all our woes. Um, If the government appoints somebody good to the role, and Arif Ahmed would, I'm sure, be excellent in it, then it may be capable of being one part of the pushback um, against the increasingly censorious and repressive culture um, across our public institutions, actually, not just in our universities. So it's a step. It's it's certainly not the whole answer. No, indeed. I mean, we have got a ridiculous story. I mean, stories again this weekend and today about trigger warnings for students. Um, you know, even you know, even just about you know stuff. You know, plot lines in Shakespeare or or archaeology students being being given a trigger warning that they may have to actually look at bones of dead people. I mean. If this was in a Hollywood film, we'd think this was a bit too silly and, 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 and frankly, a, a, what a nonsense film. And yet it's happening in real life. Why are people not speaking up about it? Because certainly when I was at university, obviously quite a long time ago, um, the idea that you'd need a trigger warning for something like this, I mean, people would have, it's not only it wouldn't have happened, people would have laughed at you and told you to shut up and probably in stronger terms than that. When did that switch happen? That, that we, we took this insanity seriously well uh, and that's a terribly good question um somehow over the last well certainly over the period of 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 the current current conservative government it has to be said um this uh, um culture has taken an extraordinarily firm grip on all our institutions on our schools on our universities on our police forces um, on the Crown Prosecution Service, on the Ministry of Justice. I mean, yeah. a- across the board, all our most important institutions seem to be, to a large extent, in the grip of, of, of this madness. Of this madness. Cancel, cancel, cancel. That's what it's all about these days. Here's a very serious story. Lockdowns led to a record number of children being prescribed sleeping pills as they struggled to cope with the disruption. Figures which were found by the Mail on Sunday, showed that sleeping pill prescriptions to under-16s in England almost doubled between 2016 and 2021, with particularly big jumps after the pandemic began. You can say scamdemic if you like. So in 2021, the last year for which statistics are available, nearly 650,000 prescriptions of hypnotics were issued to under-16s. That's one for every 17 children. Pre-scamdemic prescriptions of these sleep-inducing medicines to children were rising at a rate of about 50,000 a year. But from 2020 onwards, 
that accelerated to an annual rise of nearer 80,000. Medical guidelines say these types of medicines should not normally be prescribed to children unless it is for the short-term treatment of night terrors or sleepwalking. And the Mail on Sunday says that experts, whoever they are, believe a toxic cocktail of disruption to children's schooling caused by lockdowns, a lack of exercise following on from that because of them being stuck at home and anxiety about not seeing friends and for the safety of family members has made sleeping more difficult for children. And the article went on to say in the Mail on Sunday that more recently children might be absolutely... Uh, anxious about the cost of living crisis and how it is affecting money at home. Okay, let's hear Molly Kingsley. Molly Kingsley heads up the organisation Us For Them. She has been a tireless advocate for children's rights from the get-go, from the beginning of this scam-demic. Let's hear Molly Kingsley speaking to Richard Tice on Talk TV. I mean, I think just stepping back a bit, I think the fundamental problem here is that there has been no proper discussion about learnings from lockdown and therefore no lessons have been learned. So I don't think it's a case that they've been forgotten. I think it's that they've not been discussed. We can come on to the reasons for why that is. Because they've not been discussed, we are very much at risk, as you say, of making the same mistakes. And obviously we have, I'll come back to the the point about masks and strikes and children, but I think there's a far bigger point here that actually, um, given the environment of um, censorship and suppression of views that went side in side with many of the lockdown decisions, it's now very difficult for people, um, particularly policymakers, but also media as well, many of whom egged on, you know, all these restrictions and harsher lockdowns. Um, We seem to have this collective amnesia um, and collective refusal, really, to talk about what happened and talk about whether decisions were evidence-based whether they were harmful and whether they should be appropriate again. And because that conversation has not happened, we are at risk of making exactly the same mistakes. So some would argue, well, the lessons are going to be learned as part of the the public inquiry that's now being led by um, Baroness Hallett, which has obviously recently started. But uh, my concern (laughs) is is that that's going to go on for years and years and years and cost tens and tens of millions of pounds. And you had to fight very hard even to get the issue of the impact on children addressed by that inquiry. What's what's the latest on that? Because I know that you had a real challenge uh, to get to get that within the terms of reference of the inquiry. Yeah, so, I mean, the first draft of the terms of reference didn't include the word children. Unbelievable. Which is unbelievable, given that children, arguably, maybe it's not even arguable anymore, but given that children were the group most disproportionately hit by the pandemic, and there are 10 million of them in the country, so they're not, well, they are a minority group, but they are a significant minority group, so that was astounding. But you've changed that. They then, yeah, so we and others thought that and that the terms of reference do now include children there is likely to be a specific module on children but actually in the core where we are now with the inquiry is the module one which is on pandemic preparedness pandemic preparedness let's leave that there it's 11 and a half minutes past five mondays program Stuart wait phd waiting in the wings dr thomas binder will be on the program a bit later on the guardian newspaper reported today this morning the child mortality from trauma 
and from sudden death is on the rise in England. Now, I don't know if you saw that. I've uh, written about this. Well, I've, I've not so much written about it as nicked it from The Guardian. It's their science, it's The Guardian science correspondent, Hannah Devlin, saying that ch- child mortality from trauma and sudden death is on the up and up and up. And, wait for it, that poverty is largely to blame. How interesting. Now, this analysis has tracked all death, all child death in England between 2019 and 2022. So, you, you'd have to be honest and say that, yes, child poverty, children growing up in extreme poverty, often have poorer health outcomes than children who are born into a more comfortable home situation, right? But, 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 the jabs, anyone, anyone. And that's a question, by the way. That is a question, not a statement. I ain't a doctor. I ain't a virologist. But you have to wonder, don't you? They refer to sudden unexpected death in infancy or childhood as SUDIC. S-U-D-I-C or SUDIC. That's how they refer to it, right? And in this research, they're saying that it is pretty much down to child poverty and there's not so much as a mention of the C word at all, or even the V word in that. That article is on richieallen.co.uk. Now, if you want to take a look at it, it's uh, 13 minutes past the hour. Cost of living crisis all over the news today. Charities are warning that some families will take years to repay loans, money borrowed to pay for Christmas. It was interesting, I noticed the usual suspects out and about this morning, the usual conservative suspects, well, people shouldn't borrow what they can't pay back. Well, well, surely people are entitled to a bit of a Christmas, right? Yeah, maybe. Surely we can understand people borrowing to provide something for their children at Christmas. We can understand that and get off our high horses, those of us that are, not me now, but, but those of them wealthy enough to, to never have to worry about borrowing for Christmas. But um, the charity Step Change is saying that they have had a surge in inquiries post-Christmas families that are up to their necks in it and did borrow just to buy food, presents and what's not around the Christmas period. Yeah. Um, a Labour MP... God forgive me if she isn't Labour, but I think she might be. I'll double check anyway. Called Virginia Crosby was on Good Morning Britain. That's an ITV breakfast television programme. She was on it this morning. She's the MP for Honest Morn. That's an island, I believe. Honest Morn, yeah, Welsh. Virginia Crosby was on Good Morning Britain and said that in light of the fact that in recent years two sitting MPs have been murdered. She was referring to Joe Cox, of course, the former Labour MP, the Labour MP who was who was murdered back in 2016, just before the Brexit referendum. And Sir David Amos, who was stabbed to death in October of 2021 at his constituency in Lee-on-Sea. She said, did this MP, that because of all of this, she's taken to wearing a stab vest when meeting with the public. There are actually other MPs that do wear um, stab, je- uh, stab vests, um, Mike Freer, uh, for example. And really, uh, what happens is after the, the, the terrible, terrible murder of Sir David Amos. I sat down with my team and said, how can we make sure that I and they are safe, that I can actually do my job, that I can do the job that I was democratically elected to do. I didn't just turn up on Honest Morn uh, and become their MP. The island elected me and this is a key part of my job. So we sat down, um, I ordered a, a, a stab jacket, I have police protection. Um, my local police are absolutely fantastic. They're very, very supportive and they are very, very involved. But this is uh, my safety and the safety of my team is something that I take very, very seriously. Was it um, 
Obviously, what happened to David Amos Jokox, horrific, appalling, and I'm sure very concerning, frightening for, for all MPs. But was it something specific that was happening to you that made you choose to wear the stab vest? Did you, were you receiving threats personally, or was this a sort of general concern that people might target MPs? The, the reality is, uh, before I was a Member of Parliament, I was, I was a maths teacher. Um, and I also worked in worked in the city. Um, this is I was just looking at the numbers. The facts are that two MPs have been murdered mm. in the last seven years. There are only six hundred and fifty of us. Mm. Um, so I'm doing everything that I can mm. to do my job in a safe and responsible mm. manner. And I, I don't want to have to wear a stab jacket. I don't want to have to take all mm. these measures. But the reality is, those are the measures that I need to take to do my job. Virginia Crosby MP speaking to Good Morning Britain about the decision to wear a stab vest when meeting with. The public, I suppose you can understand it. It's 17 minutes past the hour. Um, this is making the news as well today. This story about cracking down on protests and the government's plans to give police new powers to shut down protests that cause serious disruption. Powers that would allow the police shut them down in advance of them happening. Now, many of our friends on social media, people we know, not necessarily content creators, but but commentators, you know, they're saying, well, you know, isn't it funny? Could it be argued? We love that, don't we? Could it be argued that we've, they just stop oil? And the Extinction Rebellion protests were the problem to create the reaction from the public, the annoyed, outraged public, because they couldn't get around, to then be offered the governmental solution, the solution, well, let's crack down on protesting. What do you think? Is it problem, reaction, solution? Does it spell danger? for those who want to protest on on anything you can think of. Does it pose a problem, this, this plan to give police new powers to shut down protests? Is it going to be problematic for the trade union movement? Well, there are many who believe, in fact, it will. The Human Rights Group Liberty amongst those coming out strongly against this today. Thoughts, please, to richieallen.co.uk. That's my website. It's getting hammered, the website. Um, Hayden has been on to me. That's uh, Hayden Hewitt, my friend, my colleague, uh, the man who looks after the website, does a cracking job of it. And the first 10, 15 minutes of the programme, it's difficult to get on the website because we're getting hammered. Now, please listen to this. If you're listening back, you can use the TuneIn app to listen to the programme. Go to TuneIn.com, look for The Richie Allen Show. But before you even do that, get on to FabRadioInternational.com. FabRadioInternational.com. Go to Fab Radio 2. It's very simple. And listen there. Okay. Angela has been on to say, it's taken me a while to get on. Brambo says, certainly in my specialist area of child learning, disability and autism, I did witness a huge over-representation of autism, he says. I think you were I think you might have hit enter there, Bramble, before you finished that comment, but thanks very much for that. Pandora says they might try to use the poverty excuse for the child debts. However, it is more likely the majority of debts are within middle to upper classes who were more likely to take the jabs or to jab their kids than the lower classes who have a healthier distrust of government, says Pandora there. Angus McDowell has been on. Evening, Richie. I tuned into RuPaul's Drag Race expecting to see American V8 muscle cars. 
Cards. What a drag. Uh, hi to Faisal. Hi to Wendy Roos. Hi to Jane Brooks, who's listening in Turkey. How are you, Jane? It is uh, good to know that you're on board. The time, by the way, is 20 minutes past the hour. I'll be speaking to Stuart Waiton in a few minutes' time. You don't want to miss that. And it is Dr. Thomas Binder later. You definitely don't want to miss him. Hi there. It's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. You're listening to your Richie Allen Show on richieallen.co.uk. Indeed you are. Keep the comments coming in, richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live. I love hearing from you. Yes, Stuart Waite and the academic, the researcher, the author. We will be talking about a new a union, a Scottish union for education, what's it all about? We will also talk about the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland. In Scotland? What's that all about? Do you know what that's all about? Well, people in Scotland have already been able to change their legal gender from male to female or female to male since 2005, basically. But new rules which are coming in will lower the minimum age. They can do so from 18 to 16. They will also remove the new rules, the requirement for a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. So there you are. And if you want to apply to change gender, you will now, in Scotland anyway, need to have lived in your acquired gender for three months or six months if you are aged between 16 and 17. Rather than two years, it used to be two years, you had to live in your acquired gender, right? So it is heavily rumoured that the UK government that Rishi Sunak is going to veto this and say no. We'll talk with Stuart Waiting about that and other issues in a few moments' time. Now, I was a bit hard on the gaze earlier. I was a bit hard on the gaze, right? So, to make up for it and to make friends again with my gay brethren, here's me dinner. 25 and a half minutes past 5 o'clock and Madonna and Cherish on the Richie Allen Show Monday's programme. Let's get straight into it with uh, Stuart. It's been ages since Stuart was on. I'm delighted to have him on. He's an academic. He is an author. PhD, of course. Um, we've had him on talking about his books in the past, his expertise in sociology and criminology. Um, he is involved in something called the Scottish Union for Education. Fascinated. Uh, what that's all about. A really interesting video on his Facebook page. Check it out. Go to facebook.com. Look for Stuart Waiton. That's W-A-I-T-O-N. You'll find him immediately. Uh, speaking at a, a big public gathering in Edinburgh uh, only a few days ago talking about the Gender Recognition Act. Let's welcome back to this programme live from Dundee. It's our friend Stuart Waiton. How are you, Stuart? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, busy. Busy. Um, yeah, busy with with all of this and, uh, and other things. The mat, the madness of the modern world. <laughs> it gives me gives me plenty to work on. It's wonderful, isn't it? It must be a wonderful time for anthropologists and <laughs> academics. It must yeah. be. Now, the 
what's happening with the Gender Recognition Act? It is heavily rumoured. I've just explained it to my listeners before you came on exactly what it is. It is rumoured that the British Prime Minister is going to veto this and stop this coming in. What, what, what do you understand is likely to happen? Yeah, that's 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 my understanding. I'm, I must admit, I kind of I am expecting him to do this. Um, this is because uh, if it's passed in Scotland, uh, so from 16 years of age, you don't need any medical verification or any uh, two years of living as is the different sex or a, 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 any of the 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 kind of the framework of how it works at the minute in the UK, it will be, uh, I think it's six months for 16 year olds, but for everyone else, it will just be three months. You just say, so I can just say I'm a woman. Um, and then in three months time, I can get a certificate that I can change my birth certificate and say I'm a woman. Um, Why is this a problem? Now, look, I, everybody listening to this understands that I see some of these things fairly similarly to you, but I'm going to get out of my own head for a bit yeah, to yeah. chat with you. Why is it such a big deal? I'm going to play you a clip in a moment of the top students union person in Scotland who is a trans person. I'll play you a clip so at least we'll get the other side of it. But what's the, the big deal if people say I'm male or I'm female or whatever? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots really. Um, I mean, one is... Are we moving into a world where you can just define who you are so there is no such thing as objective truth? I mean, straight away, that seems kind of problematic for me and kind of irrational. And I do think it's it's almost for me anyway, and I'm, you know, I, I don't have an awful lot of sympathy in terms of society and the culture that's moving in this direction. I would describe it as a form of mysticism, right? So... Well, so I can just say that I am a woman and you must accept that. And that's the other thing that then becomes interesting is that unlike gay liberation, where you just say, look, I want to be able to live as I like, the, the difference, which is a huge difference, is that with this issue, it's not just that you're saying you can live as you like, which is fine. I think you know, people can live as whatever they like. It's also saying you and society must recognize me for who I am, and potentially, if you do not, you can get punished for that. Yeah. So, if you don't recognise, if you don't use my pronouns, uh, if you don't recognise me in any way as the sex that I project, say I am, even if I don't look like that, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, then I might get punished. I might get punished in terms of it being said to be a hate crime. I might get sacked from my job, all sorts of things. Additionally you then open the potential for women-only spaces to be uh, occupied by men. So in Scotland, th this could mean that, you know, if I get arrested, and, and I say this half-jokingly, but only half-jokingly, but if I get arrested and I'm thinking I'm not liking this uh, uh, male prison situation, I can say, well, actually, I'm a woman. Uh, and as long as I say that for three months, then uh, it's entirely possible that I could get shifted to a woman's prison. And, and I could even get shifted to a woman's prison, which is already happening, um, if I am a, a rapist, right? which, I mean, that seems kind of incomprehensible to me. It, it, it's also in, in women's sports. What's the framework there? They'll have to, that'll be a difficult one to negotiate. Are you going to say that I can't be involved in women's sports uh, if you're saying that I'm a woman and so I'm a passport and so on? Um, you know, and some of these things the Scottish government will try and sort of uh, go around the edges. But the, the biggest concern I have 
is actually more to do with the 16 year olds. Well, hang on there one second now, because okay. okay. you, you know that we're on till about six o'clock, so you're going to get loads yeah. of time, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm really interested in the 16 year olds. But on the, the idea that men posing as women might get access to prisons, for example, it would be nice just to get a bit of balance here. Um, this is Ellie Gomerzol. I hope I pronounced that right. Ellie is a trans person. I can't say trans, I just can't say it because it's so ludicrous to me. And it's unfair maybe of me to say that, but I can't say it. Ellie's a trans person, a, a, a man who identifies as a woman, is the president of the National Union of Students in Scotland and was on Sky News with Kay Burley today. Stuart, this is about one minute, 45 yep. seconds long. You'll be able to hear it. Have a listen to it and then we'll come back. And this is on the whole area of men getting into women's prisons and women's spaces. Right. I obviously did something I shouldn't have done there, so let me just go back and start again. So this is Ellie Gomerzol, NUS Scottish president, and this time we will be able to hear it. First of all, I think that it's right that we don't have a state-defined definition um, of what womanhood means. I think that would be really dangerous, not just for trans people, but for, for women across the country. Um, if there was a strict set of guidelines as to what it meant to, to be a woman, that would be really worrying. When it comes to things like jails, again, that's something that's covered under the Equality Act. 2010. This bill doesn't change that. And if you actually look at, again, the, the Equality Act 2010, if you look at section, uh, sorry, paragraph 28 uh, of the Equality Act, there's a specific section in there which talks about when there is a legal need to still be able to discriminate. So that means that when we're talking about things like jail, for instance, you know, if there was a genuine threat, uh, for example, for someone going to, uh, say, a women's prison, um, then under the Equality Act, that can still be broken. And that's regardless of whether you've got a gender recognition certificate or not. It doesn't come into it. So I, I think that when we're then talking about, uh, you know, whether or not a man would be able to, to fraudulently claim that he was a woman uh, and get a gender recognition certificate, I'd ask, well, why on earth would a predatory man do that? Why would they go through that process of getting a, a piece of paper that allows them to update their birth certificate that doesn't change their access to things like single sex spaces for instance all it does is it means that you know the birth certificate now says that they're a woman if they were to get married they'd be recorded as a bride and their death certificate would say that they were a woman and i don't see any reason why any predatory man would see that as as a bonus or a, a way to to access uh you know being being a predator Right, Stuart. Ellie says that there is a provision already contained within the Equality Act that gives licence to discriminate, where they can say, sorry, no, you're a man who's trying to get into women's spaces. Do you want to take that on first? Well, I mean, what, what he said there was that the term that's used is a genuine threat, so they have to make an assessment of a genuine threat. I mean, there have already been people who have... Uh, raped and harassed women who have ended up in women's prisons. So I, I'd be very interested to know where the genuine threat question came in there and, and how Ellie could then justify how that actually happens. I mean, I wouldn't be a genuine threat. There would be nothing that I would say that, that if I was in prison, and he's saying, why would they do it? I mean, what, what does he mean? Why would they do it? What, what, why, would, why would any man not want to be in a woman's prison rather than a male prison? You'd be far safer. It's, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine almost any man not wanting to be in a female prison rather than a male prison, especially if it's a violent place. You're yeah. going to be the, probably the strongest person 
in in the place and you know the, the 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 risk to you is minimal and the potential opportunities of you being able to dominate a situation are gigantic and it, that that then is based on a subjective interpretation of whether or not I am a genuine threat. Well, I would say I'm not a genuine threat to him. There's no evidence of that. But if I was arrested and I'm I'm in this violent male prison, uh, am I going to say, oh, by the way, I'm a woman? Because all I have to say is I'm a woman and say I'm a woman for three months. Well, I might do, and so might lots of other men. Let me come back I, on I, that. Let I, me come I, back I on that. I can't see the argument. There, Let me anyway. come back on that. Stuart Waiton has written some terrific books, and I know because I have them. I recommend you read them. One of them is called The Politics of Antisocial Behaviour, Amoral Panics. Now, you've written about moral panics. You've lectured on moral panics. Your opponents might say it's rather ironic now that Stuart Waiton, who is an expert in moral panics, is, you know, talking up this possibility of men identifying as women and getting into women's prisons. The incidents you cited, and I can't remember the name of the of the man who, uh, I remember the horrible story, but you, your opponents might say these were very extreme and very rare cases. This is not going to be a thing. I agree. Right. I agree. And in fact, the funny thing is, the first time I spoke on this issue um, was at a feminist event in Glasgow. And they constantly kept making the point about women's safety, women's safety, women's safety. And I agree. I don't think it's not that it wouldn't be my top priority in saying um, this, this, the, the safety issue in and of itself. But I do think and I don't think you need to go down the safety framework to say there should be a space for women. Right? I think it's entirely legitimate, entirely humane, and entirely reasonable for women to say, we should have a space where people with penises are not there. Right? People who we can see are not female are in our spaces. I, th- I, th- I just think that's completely reasonable and the civilised thing to do. And you don't have to go down the violence thing. I agree. I don't think you... you I, I, despite what I've just said... Uh, because what I just said is this is this, it's factually true, but despite what I just said, I, I wouldn't want to overplay uh, the idea that trans people are violent. I don't think trans people are, are, are particularly violent. I don't think they're any more violent than other people, um, and that wouldn't be my key card. But I do think you want to protect uh, female spaces, and I do think that in a, in a rational society for the good of everybody in fact i think it's useful to have a distinction between men and women i mean you've even seen this in the recent um is it the brits award or whatever it was where because they've got rid of gender you know that they, they no longer have a women's yeah. award then basically all men have won all of the, the awards for best song best album best this women have been wiped out just wiped out yeah because they've said, well, we're not going to have a, a gender-based categories. Um, I mean, obviously, the sports thing, I think, has changed. There's been a turnaround there. There's, there's now starting to be a recognition because we've had situations where, you know, gigantic men, twice the size of women, are winning, winning swimming awards by just saying, well, I'm a guy. Uh, I'm a girl, rather, and jumping in a swimming pool and, and smashing all records. Yeah. It's, it's completely irrational. Right? It's completely irrational. It's all it's like some kind of mystical religion. You can't change your sex. If you want you know, if you're a grown up and you want to have operations or you want to wear clothes and all the rest of it, you know, I've got I, you, you can do anything you like with that. 
But I shouldn't have to then change anything about myself no. in terms of what I'm looking at. Society shouldn't have to change its institutions. We shouldn't have to change all the toilets. We have to do anything else. You basically, you're going to have to negotiate that yourself. It's your choice to do that. That's fine. On you go. You're free to do that. I don't have to recognize that as being something that is real. And I don't think society does either. No, it's a brilliant I can, point. I, I can empathize and sympathize. But it shouldn't be something that's forced on everybody in society. No, we shouldn't be even considering... I mean, that road leads to re-education. I mean, I had this out with a trans person in uh, in the gay village in Manchester about a year and a half ago when I'd been speaking a bit about this. Trying as as best as you can, Stuart, to be moderate, but I don't always, you know, achieve that ambition to be moderate. But the trans person, you're erasing my identity. I said, I'm not erasing your identity. I I will politely refer to you as any name you ask me to. I will, of course, be friendly to you and I will be empathetic or sympathetic, but you can't get me to think that you're a woman. And that's the, the crux of it. You can't get me to think that. You can't force that upon me because you're not a woman to me. And then I got there, well, that's just hateful stuff. And it, ended, it didn't end bad, the conversation, but I said, look, we're never going to find any common ground. And yet I'm willing to make, you know, to go the extra mile to make you comfortable. But I, I don't believe you're a woman. Stuart Waiton is our guest. He is a Dr. Stuart Waiton, PhD, author, academic researcher. Before we talk about the union, I know you wanted to talk about 16-year-olds and why this legislation, why, why 16-year-olds are so important in all of this discussion. Yeah, I mean, this is... This this is the area where I'm most concerned about what's happening in relation to this, which is that it's not just 16-year-olds, that's the thing. And in Scotland, of course, we're ahead of the game on these things as we are uh, on most uh, kind of regressive developments in society. So what you've got in Scotland is you have uh, a government education authority who've produced this document called uh, the Transgender uh, Guidance. And what it argues is that uh, the the framework for how what what teachers should do if a twelve year old girl, for example, uh, says that she's a boy, then the school should validate that, right? And the school should start using the correct name. And the way it's discussed is entirely as if this is the truth, right? So what a twelve year old says, that's the truth. If that person says this is what they are. That is true, and teachers must act accordingly. And they specifically say this is not a child protection or a well-being concern. Right? This is the guidance. This is not a child protection or a well-being concern. Right? So teachers should have no concern about this. Knock yourself out. You go, yeah, yeah, go, girl, or rather now, go, boy. You call yourself that, and we will facilitate that and support you in that process for twelve-year-olds. Right, 12 year olds. Yeah. Right. Now, 16 year olds, you can say, well, what's happening in Scotland with 16 year olds? 16 year olds can't buy a packet of cigarettes in Scotland, right? They can't do lots of things in Scotland, but they're now going to be able to change their sex and officially say, I am this, right? And in, in, in the process of that, potential operations, potential drugs, and so on and so forth. But bring, coming back to the schools, they also then say, if your parent doesn't support you in this change, that is a well-being concern, right? And what they mean by that is that is a concern not just for teachers, but potentially for social workers and who knows down the line potentially for the police. So if, if you do not validate your child's chosen identity at the age of 12, the teaching profession, the schools, the education authorities, the politicians in the state are backing up that child 
and pointing the finger at the parent and saying, you are a danger to your own child, right? And they raise things about the number of suicides, so on and so forth, right? And try and use the kind of victim language to, to verify that. At eight years old, children in Scotland need to be aware of the issue of gender and gender diversity. Eight years old, they're already being taught in primary schools about gender diversity. This is not a fact, this is an ideology, it's an outlook, there are different perspectives on it. There is no way on the planet this should be being allowed to be taught in schools. Not only is it being taught, it's being taught as dogma and a doctrine, and then they wonder why there are thousands of kids now queuing up, especially girls, 80% are girls, right? 80%. It never used to, trans girls weren't a thing, right, in the 1960s. It was always, always, almost always men, right? In the last 10, 20 years, there's been an absolute avalanche of girls, often who are autistic, who have other mental health problems, or are gay. And the lesbian community in Scotland are up in arms because they can see that what's happening is girls that don't spontaneously feel like girly girls are being encouraged and then they're all celebrated, right? So you imagine you're a kid, you're a bit confused at it and all of a sudden suddenly you announce yourself as trans and you're somebody who's getting validated and there's interest in you and so on. And this is from the age of 12 you're talking about. I mean, it's absolutely staggering stuff. And in future, I do suspect that people will look back on this and think this is essentially state-sponsored child abuse that we're witnessing. Why is the $64 million question? And I've had people on this programme with, with, with a variety of opinions as to why this is happening. And uh, some of them are extreme, some of them not so. But um, I can't, you, you know a little bit about this show and, and, and who I am. I just don't buy that this is well-meant stuff going wrong. I think there's something a bit more sinister going on. What do you think? Yeah, well, this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm trying to set up the union, I think, because I think there's a lot of people whose instincts are right, whose explanations are uh, not as good as they could be, I, I would say, in terms of whether it's a conspiracy or yeah. uh, whatever else. Now, t two things I would say which which are overlapping. I would say my understanding of how to think about this would be to look back to a book written by an American a great thinker called Christopher Lash called The Culture of Narcissism. It's not the easiest book in the world to read, I have to say, but nevertheless, there's some very interesting things in there. And essentially, he was arguing that what's happened in American society at that time was that the value systems had essentially collapsed or were collapsing. So religion is a framework for how you thought about uh, your, your sense of self and your sense of duty and your relationship to society was had essentially collapsed. And he said, and, and that's gonna is happening with politics and will uh, eventually politics will go the same way. So there's nothing bigger than the individual, right? And so what what you see from the 19, late 60s, 1970s, is the emergence, and we're all part of this. You and I are all part of this, this kind of counterculture. You get an emergence of a society that basically says the ultimate value and the ultimate meaning is you right all there is is you right and what you say about yourself we must respect that right we must respect you for who you are and if if you look at just about any advert now yeah or you watch netflix or anything else everything is drenched in this culture which is essentially about be the real you 
right? You are you. That's what freedom means. Freedom means us as a society validating and respecting you, the individual. And once you get that, it's not a huge step to people then saying, well, you know, if, if I'm me and you must and you respect me for who I am and well, and who do I think I am? And there's no wider framework that connects you to, well, you know, I'm, I'm part of this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a socialist man or I'm a conservative woman or I'm a Christian this or I'm a, if there's nothing bigger than you, when you then say, well, uh, I'm, I actually don't feel like I'm a, I'm a girl. I'm actually a boy. I, I'm not, I'm not a male. I'm a, I'm a this gender and I'm a that gender. Because everything starts to become inward focused, right? How we identify ourselves, how we think about ourselves becomes inwardly focused. And that's one of the reasons, uh, and I know it's partly this is because it's trendy and it like it look, might look nice and all the rest of it. But one of the reasons I think that almost everyone is now covered in tattoos is because the body and the use of the body and the inward focus into the body is something that has become how we think about how who we are, how we identify as who we are ourselves. And part of the body, of course, is our sex or our gender. And I think it's part of that process of a, a, a society that is narcissistic and encouraging that narcissism, be the real you, we will validate you. And then you get all these politicians, state institutions, what rights mean, how the criminal justice system works, everything starts to gear itself around this narcissistic, atomized, inward-turned individual. And you get this absolute disaster um, of confusion. And, and it's then adopted by the state. And the, the schools in Scotland, as I say, have adopted the transgender ideology and they're promoting it to children. As if it's, as you said, dogma, as if it's absolutely right and proper and true and, yeah. and mustn't yeah. be challenged. Demolition Man was an amazing film, wasn't it? With um, Sandra mm. Bullock and Stallone. I remember going to Salford Uni and some of my lecturers there being obsessed with this film and what it said about society and where society is heading. Because what you've just described there, that narcissism and how it has come to be, it ultimately leads to people becoming more and more disconnected from one another. It leads to a kind of a technocracy, doesn't it, where people's relationships are increasingly relationships that are online and not in person. And physical contact and all of that. I'm thinking of Sandra Bullock having sex with Sylvester Stallone in that film. I, I know that sounds a bit silly and a bit churlish, but that's where it leads, doesn't it, this, this narcissism. It ultimately reduces down to that isolation. Absolute isolation. And the thing that is tragic about this is that... You see, it, it feels like freedom. Right? It feels like freedom to say, uh, me, I am who I am. But what you end up with is actually incredibly fragile identities. So rather than having an identity that's grounded in the world, in other people and something bigger than yourself, you're left to your own devices. And that identity, because it's so fragile, I think that's why people constantly say, you need to validate me. So when that person said to you that you had sort of destroyed them or whatever it was. Yeah, erased the identity. Yeah. Erased, that's it. You've erased, you've erased me, right? And at one level, it's kind of polemical yeah. and as a way to kind of beat you down. But at another level, it's actually, the, it's, it's how it feels, right? Because if your identity is so fragile, what it means is they need validation, 
right? It's it's like it's it's what's called the politics of recognition, like that you need to be recognized, you need to be validated, you need support because historically, trans people didn't need this, right? If you if you decided you wanted to dress as this or you felt like a woman so strongly and so on, yeah, it was seen as a mental health condition. It was seen as whatever it was, but those people did not was not shouting to the world you need to recognize me right that wasn't a thing right they just got on with their lives but yeah. they also had this other other side to themselves now you must recognize and you must validate and the state's adopting that and the state is then incorporating that within the framework of hate hate crime you know employ employers how they operate how we must speak how we must you know if we're going to use pronouns that the national health service starts to talk about women uh, people with uteruses or whatever it is instead of using the term women because that would be to sort of dead name that would be to offend would be to to kind of undermine that person's identity and so we end up with a world where the norm is understood to be this the most profoundly thin-skinned chronically offended individual and institutions start to tiptoe around this to adopt it and then anybody else who doesn't uh, uh, kowtow and take the knee to this framework is seen as someone who is filled with hate and uh, must be punished so so it becomes a, a what appears as caring ends up becoming profoundly authoritarian and really dangerous. Oh, they love to name vulnerable groups. By naming a group to be vulnerable, you're taking control of them. You're taking control of their of 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 their future, of 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 their path. Stuart Waiting is our guest. This is um fascinating stuff. I wanted to you mentioned there about older people. There is a gentleman called Steve and he does listen to this programme. Steve identifies as a woman. He's in his fifties. I met him at a PC World in Manchester three years ago. And it was funny because I thought that Steve was trans. And I've got a big mouth on me, Stuart. I don't give a damn who I have it's not that I don't care who I offend, I do. But I blurt stuff out. I said, Steve, are you trans by any chance? As he was telling me a fridge freezer. And he says, I am. I, I identify as a woman. I said, why aren't you wearing a, a name badge? Oh, he said, PC World doesn't allow that. And I said, right, how do you feel about that? I said, I'm, I'm fine. He said, I, I've, I've got gender dysphoria, Richie, he said. That's what it is, he said. I know I'm not a woman, really. But um, I feel comfortable living as a woman. And he said, you know, I don't mind. I, I don't expect the company to kind of bend, you know, for me. And I thought that was really interesting. And again, his age kind of came into it. But these issues, right, you haven't said this because you're not the me, 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 me person, which I really appreciate in my guess. But these are profound issues for people in academia. They are. You're in danger. And Rishi Sunak, this made me laugh because he kicked Andrew Bridgen out of the party for asking questions about vaccine safety. Now, the vaccines could be safe. What do I know? I don't think they are, as it happens, but I could be wrong, right? But to be kicked out of the party for asking a question and for mentioning the Holocaust, uh, how dare he? On the one hand, Sunak says, you get out, you can't say this. Now he's saying that he wants to protect, protect speakers who come to university specifically. Are you concerned, Stuart, that he didn't mention the staff or lecturers or PhDs like yourself? Yeah, it's a funny one because um, I don't, while I'm keen for governments to try and promote um, open discussion, I don't think it'll make that much difference because it's really a cultural problem. It's a problem that's got to be one at the level of ideas and public and 
um, and so on that people people have got to kind of push back, which again, that's part of the reason I'm trying to set up this union is because I, I do think that it needs to be the public voice needs to be much bigger on these issues rather than relying on government and laws. But but yes, it, it's got to be a concern. Uh, although he, ha he has mentioned that he's going to create a, um, a, f a kind of academic freedom czar. Yes. Um, it's a Cambridge academic uh, who's actually very good um, and, and kind of changed uh, the policy at Cambridge because they were trying to introduce something that was said we we must respect and blah 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 and all the rest of it and he said no 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 we should use the word tolerate you know we should be tolerant which means we don't respect we 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 tolerate it but that doesn't mean we you know we kowtow and have to accept things so there are some positive things uh, uh, coming in that direction but I mean I, I, I certainly don't think we can rely on the Conservative Party to be no. uh, protectors of freedom of speech or academic freedom looking at their even their recent record on this stuff is not particularly good. No, it's dreadful. Uh, Scottish Union for Education, if you want to look that up, folks, find Stuart on Facebook. It's Stuart Waiton on Facebook. Stuart, what's your website again? Remind me. Um, my website, uh, good point, it's stuart.waiton at something. WordPress, I think it is. <laughs> Do you not have a Substack yet, no? Well, that's what we're setting up. Yeah. Right. So, in fact, what I'll do is I'll I'll give the email because basically, what we need is we need people to email us, and then from the emails we can uh, we can send people the Substack out. So that's basically what's happening. Is the Substack is the Substack is the Scottish Union for Education. So if they email info at scottishunionforeducation.co.uk, even if you're not in Scotland, we, we, you know we're happy to get people reading. Uh, around these issues, because Scotland is at the forefront of all these developments and all these things that are taking place in schools, uh, whether it's promoting critical race theory or gender theory or uh, the, the, the extremely dodgy and dubious sex education that's been developed in schools. All these things are happening in Scotland first. So if you're interested, um, email info at scottishunionforeducation.co.uk uh, and you'll get on the list and all the stuff that we're going to be writing and researching around this uh, and campaigning around this hopefully um, because essentially we, we basically want to be a voice for parents, grandparents and teachers as well as academics and communities in Scotland because the vast majority of people do not support the developments that are taking place either in society or in schools and schools are so important in terms of the indoctrination framework that's starting to develop we'll continue this conversation in the near future thanks for uh, getting back in touch with us don't wait to be asked back Stuart. doors always wide open to you Stuart. by the way his most recent book is snobs law criminalizing football fans in an age of intolerance and it's a brilliant read whether you're a footy fan or not many of the themes of this discussion today contained within that book great to have you on pal look forward to next Cheers. time Great. See you later. Thanks, Stuart. Bye-bye. Stuart Waiton, PhD, live on the line there from Aberte University in Dundee. Good to have him on. Thomas Binder is standing by and ready. We'll be speaking to him, Dr. Thomas Binder, the cardiologist, in a few moments' time. I'll be back with you in 40 seconds. I'll read some of your comments. Then we'll get Thomas on. Hi there. It's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. 
Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Now, incidentally, just as I was coming on air, the the oft-mentioned Caroline, that's my future missus, who will herself be presenting a weekly podcast sometime in the very near future, did something that we've never done before. Just for the crack, she came in and videoed the opening moments of the Richie Allen radio show just for a bit of fun. It's on the Richie Allen Facebook page. So if you go to Richie Allen, if you go to facebook.com forward slash BBG Richie or just look for the Richie Allen show, you'll be able to see that. It's uh, just a bit of fun. She came in to film me as I was beginning the programme. This is radio, not telly. And you'll understand why I am so reticent to be filmed when you watch the clip on the Richie Allen Show Facebook page. It's also been shared to Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll find it as well. I'm not ugly. I'm pug fugly. <laughs> I'm not even pug fugly. I think I'm pretty, I actually think I'm quite gorgeous. That's it. Just, just that speaks to what Stuart said there about the narcissism. It doesn't matter. It should never be challenged. I identify as absolutely beautiful. Anything else, anything else, anything said by you that doesn't go along with that is cancelling me. Yeah, I was trying to buy a fridge freezer or a geezer. That's a true story, Steve, yeah. I asked Steve, what name do you normally go by? And Steve said, I go by the name of Stephanie, strangely enough, or not strangely enough. And I said, right, and you don't, um, nah, Steve had a pair of flat shoes on, butterfly flats like women would wear. And had a little bit of makeup on. So I just blurted it out because I couldn't give a shite, really. I do, I do, I, I do care about people. I don't want to embarrass people, but I do. Sometimes I have no filter. So it's so like, you, are you trans, Steve? <laughs> Fick. Shouldn't have said that. Steve said, I am, as it happens. Why? I said, the, the shoes and the makeup gave it away, Steve, to be honest. But, um, yeah, we had a bit of a chat, Steve. It was lovely. We ended up getting a fridge. For, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. That's the part of the story that is wrong. We didn't. We didn't. We're stuck with the fridge freezer that was here when we moved in. Yes. So uh, we have to buy another one, though, because our fridge freezer is terrible. It's not big enough. Anywho, shall I take a tune? I know I said I'd read your comments out. I know, but time is at a premium today. Let's play John Bon Jovi and Blaze of Glory from the motion picture Young Guns 2, which starred... Emilio Estevez, Lou Diamond Phillips and Kiefer Sutherland amongst many others. Back with Dr. Thomas Binder on your Richie Allen show soon. That is Bon Jovi or John Bon Jovi and Blaze of Glory on the Richie Allen show. Let us welcome back to the programme. I think a pretty special gentleman back in 2020. He was one of the first physicians, he's a cardiologist, to stand up and speak out about the danger of locking healthy people into their homes and banning them from going to work. He warned about the dangers this presented to children. Yes, he did. And shortly thereafter, he became one of the first physicians in the world to warn that the mRNA jabs um, were not only unnecessary, 
but that they would likely cause great harm in the global population. He was actually sent against his will to a psychiatric institution to be evaluated. Thankfully, he came out of that. He's still practising as a cardiologist and you will find him on Twitter tweeting out important information all the time. His handle is Thomas underscore Binder. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the Richie Allen Show, Dr. Thomas Binder. Thomas, welcome back. How are you? Welcome back, Richie. And thank you for your fair invitation. Well, I'm fine, and you? I'm really good, thanks. Do you... I shouldn't say this, because I think you're a pretty humble man, but do you feel vindicated in January 2023 when you think back to the warnings that you gave about the jabs and how experimental they were, no long-term safety data. You were, people tried to destroy you for what you said. Do you feel vindicated today? Well, of course, I'm not vindicated in the public or at least in the, in the mainstream media, but of course in the new media. And uh, I mean, what happened in Twitter uh, was tremendous. I mean, Whatever Elon Musk's agenda, I don't know. <laughs> but he released all our early listeners of the first times. I was banned for 22 months and I was reinstated on January 9th. That's about, I guess, 35,000 followers. I lost about 8,000, but I'm always almost back to, to that figure. And uh, all my fellow enlighteners of, of of that time are reunited. It, it, I said it, it feels a bit like the return of the Jedi. <laughs> and I mean, and at the same time, what is amazing at the same time, almost all these spots, you know, these these faceless, uh, nameless, uh, alleged people in Twitter, accounts in Twitter, following four, followed by one. They have almost all disappeared. They have all disappeared. So the, the, the wind in Twitter has completely changed. And, and this is really made. You... Because I always say Twitter is the best social media because you do not remain in, in the bubble. There are the journalists, there are the politicians. And always is it when a journalist, a politician posts something, you can directly confront this myths or lies with the reality. And, and this it is myths are shared, your reality is shared the same. Uh, I always thought uh, Twitter is, is, is the best social media. Yeah, sorry, Richie. No, I was going to make the point because you mentioned that you'd lost a lot of followers. Now, our listeners should understand this is not a vanity thing. This is not about your vanity. The followers were important to you because I remember when we first spoke when you got kicked off of Twitter, it was about saving lives for you, wasn't it? That was the important thing. The further, the bigger the reach you had, the more likely that you could save lives by warning people that these jobs were not necessary. Exactly. I mean, I always, I always say, while a like is good for our ego, sharing is caring for humanity. Yeah. I mean, I, at, the, at the beginning in February, March, I, I tried, of course, to to inform uh, journalists I knew, politicians I knew, fellow doctors I knew, and I never get any answer, not even an answer like Thomas, you're crazy or so. So as I could not reach journalists, I, I, uh, I did more in, in social media, of course, and uh, wrote blogs. 
And and really, I mean, it's it's not about my ego. It's just about my duty as a doctor, as I have to inform my patients, so that lay people can understand how to proceed with their medical condition. I immediately felt the duty as a doctor. I have to inform the public about this uh, disease of the society, so that they can um, decide informedly. I mean, it's really about. It's only about reach my my self love. My my self love is high enough, so uh, it's really not about my ego. No, it's not about your ego. I read today something shared by a colleague of yours, Doctor Asim Malhotra, and this is really interesting. <laughs> Apparently, information has come to light. Evidence is emerging that those who had a jab are 28 times more likely to develop myocarditis than people who had COVID but didn't have a jab. Can you explain that for our listeners? Well, it differs what you define as myocarditis. The most sensitive uh, parameter to diagnose myocarditis is troponin. This is an enzyme that is an enzyme that exists in the myocardium, the cells of the myocardium, and if there is damage to these cells, it is released in the bloodstream. So in the blood, then you can measure it. And this is highly sensitive for any damage to the heart, whether by myocarditis, myocardial infarction, or whatever. And there was a study in Thailand with adolescents where they found an incidence of 2.3% myocarditis, and there was a study in Switzerland that is not peer-reviewed yet, but it was presented at the European Society of Cardiology Congress in Barcelona in August, where they examined uh, hospital staff at the University of Basel after the third jab, so the first booster, with a mod RNA injection. I guess it was Moderna. And they found in 3%, 3% elevated troponin. So actually, I mean, even if this might be a slight myocarditis, this is myocarditis. So one in 30 becomes at least a slight form of myocarditis. So what my fellow cardiologist, Malhotra, is uh, uh, telling uh, this, is, this is not the reality. The reality is much worse. So the jabs, if, for those who've had the mRNA jabs, some of them will, the jabs will cause the release of an enzyme, and this is called triponin, and this can damage the heart. Is that right? Just to, just to clarify. No, no, no. no it's, it's the other way around. The, the jabs damage the heart muscle cells, and this releases this ah. enzyme, troponin, that is normally is only within the heart muscle cells. So this is a marker for damage to heart muscle cells. Now tell me this, Thomas. We've got Dr. Thomas Binder, cardiologist, live on the line from Switzerland. Is this something that is relatively easy to detect with, with a test? Yes, yes. There's a rapid test where you have to result in 10 minutes or so. This can be done by any... Or so, you so, don't even need to have to go to the hospital. So I'm guessing then that if you were the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom or if you were the Chancellor of Germany, 
or the president of France, you would immediately <laughs> you would immediately invite everybody who has had an mRNA jab to take a test, would you? If I was one of those, yeah, I would never have allowed these these deadly stop poisons. the jabs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, of well, course, but but now yeah, now that the jobs are out there, I think yeah. if, if anyone who who had it, yeah, this would be a, a good screening test. If they if they had the chat and then suddenly are afraid, this is this is a good screening for my. This is this is why I love having um, medical people on. So, if somebody is listening to this program and they have M or N A vaccine regret, they wish they didn't have the vaccine. They should ask their doctor to book them a test in the hospital, this relatively simple test, just to check now. It would be a good thing to do. Yes, every, even every GP can do it. And at the same time, I would recommend the D-dimer test. D-dimer is a sensitive marker for thrombosis anywhere in the body. Because, of course, you know, we already predicted. I mean, we, doctors for COVID ethics, first of all, my dear friends, Professor Emeritus Suchari Bhakti from Germany, we predicted in spring 21, in our first letter to the EMA, the regulator for drugs and vaccines in the EU, that thrombosis will be one of the many side effects. So thrombosis leads to myocardial infarction, if it is in the heart, if if it is in the brain to stroke, if it is in the legs to thrombosis of the legs, if it is in the intestine, to infarctions of uh, duodenum, colon, the, 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 the intestine. And a marker for this, a sensitive marker for any thrombosis is D-dimer. So it, this is also a rapid test where you have the results in 10 minutes in both tests. And in at least in Switzerland, can be done by any GP. The, 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 the D-dimer no test, you call this. My my yeah. pronunciations are terrible. Thanks, Thomas, for that. Dr. Thomas Binder is on the line. Look at how quickly the time goes. It's 17 minutes past the hour. Let's get to the questions. Listeners have hundreds of questions for you. I know you won't be able to answer all of these, and I appreciate that. Isabel has an excellent question. Could you please ask Dr. Binder about the issue around blood transfusion, please? What will the impact be, if any, if a non-vaccinated person receives a blood transfusion from a vaccinated donor? Now, you'll remember only recently in New Zealand, a child was taken away from his parents because his parents did not want him to receive a transfusion from a vaccinated person. Do you imagine there's a risk if I was in a car crash tomorrow, God forbid, and I needed a blood transfusion? I've not had a COVID jab. If my blood comes from a COVID jabbed person, is could that be problematic for me? Well, of course, I know that I do not know the most important things. Fair enough, Socrates. But just, I mean, we can we can think about it. If I mean, what you get when when I give blood, huh? they take away five hundred milliliter of my blood. Half a liter. And now. Ah, we've lost Thomas momentarily there, just as he was going to answer the question as to whether or not the unjabbed person is at a risk if they receive a blood transfusion from somebody who is jabbed. Let's see, can we get him back on the line? 
There you Ah, that's his message and service, isn't it? I think his coverage has dropped out there. Let's give him a minute and we'll get him back on. Fascinating stuff, this. It's coming up for 19 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford from BBG Towers. January 16th it is. Dr. Thomas Binner, the cardiologist, who, to say they went after this gentleman back in 2020, is an understatement. They went after this gentleman in 2020. Let's see, can we get him up on the Skype this time? We, we originally set out to do this on Skype. And we were we were unable to do it on Skype. I don't think we'll get him on Skype. We'll go back to his landline now, and hopefully we'll get him on. These things happen, you know. Let's see. Let's try him again. Thanks for your messages. I'm going to get through as many of them as I can with Thomas in the uh, time we have left, which is about a half an hour. Sorry about that, Thomas. It, the call dropped out just at the critical moment yeah. when you were talking about the blood transfusions. Um, so it apologies. Might be, might be the problem. Might be on my side. I don't know. Uh, Red, Red, how far did you um, well, you, understand you, me? Did you, you follow you, me? Well, you quoted so- Socrates and you said, you know, you know, we know that we don't know, but you said, okay, yeah. and that's where you are. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if I give blood, huh? if I donate blood, they take away 500 milliliters, about 500 milliliters of my blood. And if you assume that the products of these injections, so the spike, the lipid nanoparticles, the RNA, are diluted homogenically by about 50 liters of water. Then this is the dilution by one to 100. So, I mean, even if after I donated blood, all these parts, spike, lipid nanoparticles, the RNA, would remain intact and would enter another person, so by transfusion, uh, this will be a dilution of about 100. So, I mean, the dosage that you would get, but of course, this is a theoretical consideration. Huh? As I said, I don't know, actually, but from these theoretical considerations, this will be maybe hundreds of the dose, the, the injected head. So, I think the risk is much smaller, must be uh, by magnitude smaller than the risk of the one who was injected. And then, of course, it is important that the indication for this transfusion is correct. I mean, usually you should only give blood, make a transfusion in a really in a life-threatening emergency situation. So now you, you make this risk-benefit analysis, either I die, or I receive blood with maybe a hundreds of a dose of a chap. Honestly, I would say yes, I would like to have this blood. So I think it's important that also on our side, yes. in Heisenberg, there are people that panic based on no scientific evidence. And this I do not like as well. We may not make the same mistake as the other side, uh, disinform people based on zero scientific evidence. It's a very balanced but, answer. Said, I'm not 100% no. sure, but these are theoretical considerations. Yeah, it's yeah. a brilliantly balanced answer. There is a possibility, but the fact is we don't know. Further study would need 
to take place. And if you were about to yes. die and somebody said, have this blood, well, you might as well have it if you're going to die anyway. I, I totally get this. Uh, Dr. Thomas Binder, MD, is our guest. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Uh, so important, this. Um, what does Dr. Binder think is going on then? Asks Brian Smith. Brian asks... What's happening here? Is this just bad science? Is it something more serious than bad science? Is it is it murder? Is it totalitarianism? That's a really good question because I wanted to talk to you about excess deaths and how the excess death um, figures have risen very sharply here in the UK in the last 12 months. But what, why, ha- why have they refused, despite all the evidence, why have countries refused to halt the programme of mRNA jabs. Why do you think? Well, it starts much earlier. I mean, these jabs, the, 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 the nonsense, the, the, the catastrophe of these jabs, these also you can explain simply. I can explain simply in one minute. Imagine, was not the very idea to inject the construction plan for a foreign, for the production of foreign protein into the body without having any control about this production, totally insane. We do not know which cells exprime this uh, protein and then present it on the surface and in what amount they produce it. So please consider it. I mean, both, both should differ considerably between individuals. So maybe you, produce 1 billion spike protein and I 100. Well, I mean, if you take one or 100 sleeping pill, that's a huge difference. Yes. So we do not even know the effective individual dose. It might be that the that six-month-old produces more than a 50-year-old man. This we do not know. Individually, this can differ. And then, this is important. The cells who produce this foreign protein, they present the protein and parts of it on their surface. And our immune system, our basic duty of our immune system is to, uh, to find non-cells. So these are our, our white blood cells of the immune system are patrolling around. They see these cells with this foreign protein on the surface. And then they think, oh, well, this is a foreign cell. Then they attack it and destroy it. So this is the principle, the basic principle of immunology that is totally neglected by these village idiots at best, evil psychopaths at worst. And this is important to realize that even if a not toxic spike protein is chosen and non-toxic lipid nanoparticles are chosen, so in, in other RNA vaccines, then this basic flaw of the modern RNA technology is the same. And I mean, if the cells who are destroyed are skeletal muscle cells in the upper arm, this is not a huge problem. They can regenerate. But if these cells are heart cells and brain cells who cannot regenerate, the damage is incredible. And this is what we see. We see mainly myocarditis, myocardial infarction, sudden death by those two, and uh, inflammation of the brain, encephalitis. These are the worst 
side effects we have. So imagine, so again, I mean, what was with the people? What, what did they think when they developed this? I mean, I always say you need to have three connected unwashed brain cells to understand this basic flaw of these mod RNA poisons. So you're saying, so, you're saying they, they must have known. Either, yeah. that, sorry, either they are narcissistic village idiots or, or evil psychopaths. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we have to look at this individually, but, but these are the only two explanations I found. So, so Thomas, yeah, sorry, no, 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 no. My apologies for the interruption, but just to be clear, you're stating they couldn't not have known. It is impossible for them not to have known that this would happen in some people. Yes, I mean, at, at least some. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at, at least, for example, Aslam Turesi and Ugur Sahin, uh, the owners of uh, BioNTech in Germany and the developer of, of the BioNTech injection. I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, you know, they might be narcissistic village idiots, but uh, highly likely not. So highly likely they, they are evil. But well, from the distance, I do not know. There is, there is a huge force of delusion, of course. I mean, uh, most people who participate in this crime against humanity of unprecedented order, it's, I call it really a mod RNA genocide, they, they do not know what they are doing. They simply do not know. Is that compartmentalization then? So on some level, on some levels, people don't know. They're doing that which they think is good for humanity. But the people above them, they do know that this is potentially deadly for many people. So we're talking about compartmentalization, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, generally, I, I say we are at the, at, the, at the apex of the age of narcissism that started in the late 1970s. And of course, in, in this, uh, the height of, of this age of narcissism, almost all, all positions of power are occupied by severe narcissists. Uh, so these are the narcissistic village idiots in our governments, for example, in our parliaments. Not all of them, sorry, not all of them, but obviously the majority of them. They are. There are some intelligent, brave, and pathetic people also in governments and parliaments, but they are in the minority, and they are labeled, censored, and destroyed. You have currently this situation in the UK. You have there another one is uh, labeled to be an anti-Semite, yes. who is actually a friend of humanity. So also a friend of the Jews. I mean, it's ridiculous. Andrew and then above Bridgen, them, yeah. of course, the puppeteers of these narcissistic villages, these are evil psychopaths. These, I, I'm sure it works like this. Yeah, you mentioned Andrew Bridgen there, who has been kicked out of the Conservative Party because he has asked a number of questions about the safety of the vaccines. And he quoted Asim Malhotra, I think, and said that the vaccine programme is the worst thing to happen to humanity since the Holocaust. Nothing offensive yeah. to Jewish people there at all. Exactly. And he was he was destroyed. I've got loads of questions from listeners. Before I ask and you... Just, just maybe to this, just... I mean, you, do you know Vera Sharaf? Vera Sharaf is a survivor of the Holocaust. That's right. Brave, enlightener. Uh, she is with us from the very start. And she, I mean, who, who could, who could compare, compare, huh? Uh, this 
Modernate genocide with the Holocaust, if not she. And she says, it is worse. It is even worse. It is worse than the Holocaust because it is global. Google for Vera Sharaf, right. a wonderful lady. I guess she's about 84 now, but absolutely clear in her head. And she she speaks this out for one and a half she's years. A, so. She's a brilliant woman. I, I interviewed her about 18 months ago. about Well, a bit less okay, than that. Great. And she was terrific. Yeah, people can find that on, on Podomatic. Dr. Thomas Binder is our guest. So I'm going to, I've got a question from Elizabeth, which is really important. So I'll ask you... This question, and you can be as brief as you can, if you like, Thomas, are you seeing in patients, you being a skilled and qualified cardiologist, are you seeing damage from the vaccines personally? Yes, of course. I'm mainly a cardiologist, so I see more myocarditis and the pericarditis, uh, really more. And I see also more myocardial infarctions and strokes. I mean, this is my personal experience, but as we had predicted, the mechanisms are clear. We predicted them almost two years ago, and it is also proven that the group around the German pathologist, Professor Emeritus Arne Burkhardt, proved almost a year ago that, that uh, these, uh, these uh, injectables, I, I, I would never call these vaccines, these are poisons, that they cause that they cause exactly that myocardial infarction, myocarditis, stroke, inflammation. They cause mainly inflammation of the blood vessels, and this inflammation then leads to thrombosis. So, if I see a patient with a myocardial infarction clinically, I cannot know whether this is a an ordinary myocardial infarction. That happens when the plaque ruptures and then the, the coronary artery is suddenly blocked by a thrombus, or whether the, the cause was inflammation of the coronary artery, so-called coronaritis, that caused the thrombus that blocked the artery. Clinically, this can, we cannot compare, but uh, the pathologists can do it. So it is important. All these sudden deaths, for example, that happen in Temporal conjunction with these injections are caused by these injections until proven otherwise. And this can only be proven by serious pathological examination, including histology. So look at all, all organs under the microscope and by doing immunohistochemistry. You can, you can find the spike at the nucleocapsid protein and then you can differentiate, for example, if a myocarditis, whether a myocarditis is caused by the chaps, then you find only the spike protein, no nucleocapsid, that is another surface protein of the virus, or by COVID, then you find both surface proteins. You, yeah. Did I answer your question? You answered my question, absolutely. Thomas Binder, Dr. Thomas Binder. No, no, I'm there. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Good, thank God for that, because I've got a really interesting question from Elizabeth. <clears throat> Uh, who's listening to us uh, with interest, she says, does Dr. Binder think vaccine shedding is possible and could be affecting those who didn't receive a jab? This is again, again, I do not know. Yeah. Uh, but again, we can make some theoretical experiments. Huh? Um, also then, for example, if I, I, I was, if I was jabbed, 
what I never will be, of course. But if I was chapped, maybe I could exhale. I mean, I do not talk about close contact, sexual contact or so, but ordinary social relations, for example. If, if I meet you and we, we are sitting face to face and talk to each other, drinking a beer or so, then I might exhale maybe some spike protein. Huh? But then the amount of the spike protein that would arrive uh, at you in your, on your mucosas, in your lungs, that would be minuscule, even much more, much less than, than you could get by a transfusion. So this also would be a dilution. This might be a dilution by a factor of a billion or so even. So uh, I do not believe that this is a serious problem. But again, I am not sure. But highly likely it is not. So do not panic don't worry. about this as well. Don't worry about this as well. Another, another cause, another point would be, of course, if these fuel particles could uh, could uh, breathe, they, they could augment. If this was a virus, for example, in the Janssen vaccine, for example, when this virus was not attenuated, that was a, would be a living virus that would could multiplicate, then theoretically this could be possible to, to produce a, a vaccine spreading by air. But the spike protein, lipid nanoparticles, not RNA themselves, they cannot multiply. Thanks for yeah. that answer. I, while listening to you, I remember something that was sent to me by an excellent journalist called Spiro Skouras, who was in Arizona, a great guy, very ethical journalist. Spiro is great. I yeah, know Spiro you know from Spiro. the very beginning, yeah. He's a top man. He's back in Twitter again. It's, he's it's he's like back that. too, yeah. They've, they've left us back, well, most of us back for, for now anyway. We might talk about censorship in a moment. But he uncovered something a couple of years ago that he shared with me. And you mentioned narcissistic psychopaths. Spiro found evidence, genuine evidence, that they are developing self-spreading vaccines to, to defeat the, the, the refuseniks. So those of us who do not want to take experimental jabs, they've got an answer for that in the future. They're going to develop self-spreading vaccines. That's um, that's Nazi stuff, that isn't it? Yeah, that's a, of course. That again is evil. I mean, evil. Then, then you had to have no chance at all to give informed consent. I mean, there was no chance, almost no chance, to get informed consent now, because I mean, it's impossible if if you are educated about effects and side effects of a vaccine of a drug in general by a totally disinformed doctor. Informed consent is impossible, and this is what we see in, in the majority of doctors in, in this uh, corona catastrophe. Uh, so, I mean, if, this, if, if, if that was spreading, I mean, that would be even more evil, of course. Huh? As I said, I mean, so we can protect, I can say, I do not get the jab. But if this is coming by air, I mean, they, they also do such uh, experiments with mosquitoes and, and things like this. Uh, yeah. It's unimaginable. Evil evil. That, yeah. must be, that must be arrested lifelong, of course. And the World Economic Forum is meeting in Davos <laughs> this week. And just to mention evil psychopaths, uh, Tony yeah. Blair 
is there in all his glory. Most of the Labour Party, not most of them, but many of the Labour Party's front bench uh, people. Do you think it's a crazy conspiracy theory or, I mean, nothing is binary. I shouldn't put things in binary terms. But is it a conspiracy theory or is there something to the claim that the world is being transformed, that, that they are building a prison for people? And that the whole COVID thing is part of that. What do you think? I mean, once you have realized that with this whole corona insanity, it was not about science, it was not, it was not about medicine, then of course you have to think about what, what, then, what is it then? And then, I mean, you can, you can go to the homepage of the World Economic Forum, if you find the agenda to the Great Reset, or you can uh, go to, on, the, on the homepage uh, of the... Of the United Nations, there you find Agenda 2030. I mean, of course, they want to transform society, but they also want to transform as humans. I mean, in 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 spring, at Easter Sunday 2020, I was in this padded cell when they had arrested me, and uh, because I and, and then uh, there was the allegation I was. Uh, insane and self-endangering, which I was never. No. I, 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 I told, I, I said, who, who else could empty the place before the St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome? Who else could empty this place than devil himself? Huh? Imagine, huh? Think about that. I mean, even the church uh, cooperated in this. I mean, the, the, the church should be a place where people can find some uh, relief. Huh? Also, the church is closed down. Uh, it, it, they, of course, I mean these guys are evil psychopaths, and we always we always have problems when some people think they are better than other people and put themselves above other people, and in this case, even above. God or the multiverse or whatever you want to call it. They they play God, but uh, yeah. Are you? Want, I guess I guess they want to transform us either into psychopaths or robots, which essentially is about the same. Yeah, sorry. No, on the church. Why did the church capitulate around the world? Did, w- w- maybe it was because they believed that COVID was a plague. Maybe is that what you think? <laughs> No. Yeah. I mean, there was it. There was the interesting story with the Pope uh, Ratzinger, who had to step down. I guess it was about ten ten years ago. Huh? He died now, and also this is a strange story. Such a story had never happened before. Uh, this is just my personal opinion. I don't know. I'm still a Catholic, but <laughs> I don't know for, for for whether I will be for 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 a long time because. Uh, what the church did is was insane as well. And uh, personally, this is just my suspicion. Eh? Don't, don't hang me on this. But personally, I think Rotzinger might have disturbed the agenda. So they, they had to replace him by another pope who... Yeah. Who'd go along with the plan, as who, it were. Who, who, maybe, who maybe they... Yeah, who maybe they had could blackmail, for example. I, I think many politicians, many... Powerful people are blackmailed, maybe by compromising videos. And Absolutely, it's know, what Jeffrey Epstein was doing. It's also an important 
means how they have total control. That's yeah. v- that's very shrewd. Yeah, I I think that's what guys like Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein wasn't alone. There were many Jeffrey Epstein's. Um, compromising people so that they could be influenced. Uh, Dr. Thomas Binder is our guest. Please follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. His handle is at Thomas underscore Binder. Get on there because Thomas tweets pretty much daily and puts videos up there with really interesting information and it does save lives. I really do mean that. I've got more questions for you. We've only got about eight minutes left. I can't believe it. Uh, Kiki says... Kiki says, great uh, to hear Dr. Binder, great guest. Can you ask him um, about Bill Gates' intention to vaccinate livestock and food? What dangers does this pose to us? Or is it just more fear? Gates is a strange one, isn't he? Speaking of speaking of creepy people. I, I mean, I, I, said, I said the whole modified RNA principle is, is insane. Uh, it has, uh, can only create damage, it can only do harm and do nothing good. Uh, just, we have just to forget about all this stuff. This must all be banned until we know really more. And of course, such a guy like Gates, I cannot understand how such a guy is still free. I mean, uh, Davos is two hours from Moivi by car. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I uh, currently 5,000 Swiss police officers and military personnel are protecting, protecting the worst criminal, criminals of the world uh, in the last in the last decades at least. Huh? It, it would be a great opportunity to arrest them with these personnel and then bring them in, into court. Wouldn't? Isn't yeah, unfortunately, I'm not the president of Switzerland. It's an inversion. What you described is an inversion. You've got the worst of humanity gathered at Davos. You described it beautifully, being protected by 5,000 uniformed Swiss police when really they should just turn around 180 degrees, arrest every one of them and put them on trial for murder. Because I wanted to ask you... This is the maximum of psychopathic abuse. I mean, we Swiss are also killed by them, huh? And at the same time, we protect them, and the taxpayer even pays for this protection. As you said, I mean, it's to, it, you, you can easily understand the current state of the world when you realize that everything is turned upside down. And this is the psychopath. This is the basic principle of psychopathy. They turn everything upside down. And uh, the, the, when once you have realized this, I mean, they managed, in a way, they managed, the psychopaths managed to impose their psychopathy on the whole society. And if you understand this, you understand the world. If, if, they, if they say, test, 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 you immediately know, no test. If they say, jab, 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 just do the opposite. You must always do exactly the opposite what they recommend you. And then you are right on to proven otherwise. That's a simple rule of thumb. Uh, Thomas, I love that. Whatever they tell you, do the opposite and you'll be okay. Do the opposite. (laughs) If you're not sure, do the opposite. You sound, can I just say, like, despite everything that happened to you, and it isn't funny, what happened to you, I remember speaking to a lovely woman um, who... um, a, a, a working, uh, you know, you know, a, a working class, I suppose. I hate to use terms like that, but um, her name was uh, Suzanne, and 
she 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 phoned me live on air from a mental institution back in 2019 I think or early 2020 she was also committed for evaluation because she very gently asked her doctor about the dangers of vaccines and her doctor then recommended that she be taken against her will and I'll never forget this you know this happened to you these are traumatic things I mean you're a career man with a great reputation how do you feel about all of this now in 2023? Yeah, well, they tried to... I mean, first, first let me state, I have the highest respect, the highest respect of the so-called working class, huh, as you mentioned, because these are the empathetic, brave people uh, earthed in the reality. Huh? This is the most... The, the problem are the academicians, because the, uh, the academicians are the most easy to be deluded. The narcissistic academicians are the most easy to be deluded because they cannot even have the idea to be wrong, yeah. and not um, and not even not totally wrong. While uh, while uh, uh, so-called ordinary people, they they see hey this what I see in the media, what I hear has nothing to do with my daily life. They realize all, all what these, I always say, I, I use the allegory of Plato's cave. Huh? We are sitting in Plato's cave, and then on the, on, the, on the wall, we do not see the shadows of these symbols, but there is a huge flat screen. And on this huge flat screen, the mass media, the old media, I call them, project virtual realities. So the CO2 climate insanity, that is also an intellectual absurdity. The corona insanity, that is an intellectual absurdity. The 9-11 insanity, that is an intellectual absurdity. All these are real virtual realities. And we must realize that this part of cave has an exit where we can go out and, and go into the sunlight. And then we see, we realize all these virtual realities have nothing to do with reality, with our daily life. So really, the first step is turn, switch off TV, radio, and all old media, and inform yourself in the new media. And now, happily, as Twitter really is a platform of free speech, unfortunately not yet free reach, uh, for example, in, in social media as well. I mean, I stated this, look, for example, I mean, I certainly appreciate, for example, what my fellow cardiologist uh, Asim Alhotra is doing. But why exactly? Okay. When he is after three years finally talking a little bit about vaccine side effects, myocarditis, myocardial infarction, stroke, and so on, why he is retweeted 10,000 of times and I'm 50 or so? Huh? <laughs> Who yeah, yeah. explains? For three years. That's a really so interesting this, this question. Exactly. He is allowed, a little bit of truth is allowed to enter the mainstream, but the total truth you can go to on my Twitter account. Uh, in one minute, I, in one minute, 16 seconds, I can destroy the whole, the whole Moderna chat. As a journalist who... Why, why does he not do it? Or it's in Twitter, I say, it's yeah. in, in December twenty. I would never inject these poisons, even if if someone would point a gun at my temple. 
where, where, sorry, just my question, where was Asim Malhotra then? Just, just my question. It's a great question. Yeah. I, I think I know the answer. It's because guys, <laughs> it's because guys like Malhotra will only scratch the surface, really, of what's happening. Exactly. And that's the reason. So he'll be allowed a bit of leeway. And with you, it'll be shadow banning, you know, tweets disappearing, yeah. followers, of course, Thomas. And I've seen it happen. Of with course, they are looking for an exit strategy. And the exit strategy, oh, well, we are, we are all somewhat deluded. And yeah, we made some minor mistakes, but generally no. we, we managed this corona pandemic quite okay. But, but, but when you look at, at people like me, I'm not the only one, of course, there were others, uh, not too not many, of course, but there were others. Uh, who said then you realize that the whole corona narrative is utter unscientific nonsense from the start and that these chats we knew before the rollout that these chats are unnecessary ineffective and unsafe and by now we even know they are negatively effective so the chats uh, suffer even more from covid and from more severe covid because they are immunosuppressive and because of antidepressants Antibody dependent enhancement. Uh, I mean, this this of this proof, of course, collapses everything. The whole system will collapse because every institution, every institution was a dead loss. That's a great place to leave it today. We're just out of time. I want to mention again. Find Dr. Thomas Binder on Twitter. It's Thomas underscore Binder. I mean it when I say this. I said this to you last time. Last time was 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 a long time ago. But when you've got something to say, don't wait for me to invite you. Reach out to me on Twitter and we'll schedule a conversation because it's very easy to listen to you and our listeners have really enjoyed it, despite the seriousness of the uh, discussion, of course. So thanks, uh, Thomas. It's been a pleasure to speak to you again. I'm glad yeah, you're going strong. Some final se- 10 seconds? Of course, you've got 60 seconds if you need dear, them. Go ahead. Dear fellow humans, dear fellow humans, also, if you are chapped, maybe multiple times, and even if you are suffering from severe side effects, do never despair. More and more brave doctors are coming out and are willing to help you. And there will also be investigation research, of course. So we are, we are collaborating together. And over time, we will be able to treat even the most complex uh, side effects. And uh, I always say, I guess with these chaps, it is a little bit like the smoking. It is almost never too late to give it up. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure to have you back, Thomas. Thanks so much, and I look forward to next time. Thank you. Thank so- you. Thank you, Thomas. My pleasure. My pleasure. Dr. Thomas Binder, MD, live on the line from Switzerland. Lovely to catch up with him again because it's been ages. Uh, It really has. Let me just put myself off line there because I was looking for a song. I couldn't find it. Uh, Thanks for your comments, by the way, during that conversation. I really appreciate it. I love that message at the end. It isn't too late ever to stop with the jabs and more and more doctors are coming out to speak about these things and maybe there are alternative med, med, medicinal alternative medicinal approaches that might be useful and helpful in treating vaccine injuries so uh, yeah thanks to him 
uh, for that. That's about it for the programme. Thank you so much to uh, Dr. Stuart Waiton, PhD, for coming on earlier on to talk about the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland and free speech, as well as other subjects we covered. I really appreciate that. And again, thanks to Dr. Thomas Binder. Now, Irish guys of my age, and even younger and even older, will be aware of Christy Dignam, the lead singer of Aslan, who is a magnificent singer, songwriter, and also any of us that met him along the road, whether it be at concerts or whether it be in the media, as I met him a few times, will will, will tell you that he's a a gentleman and, and a scholar, a real gentleman. And he's been suffering with health difficulties in the last couple of years and they've worsened and his family have announced that he's uh, receiving palliative care and they've asked for respect, absolutely, rightly asked to be left alone and to be respected and to be given privacy. So, of course, 100%. But but for those of us who uh, loved meeting him and loved um, the music of of Aslan, particularly for me, their first album, Feel No Shame, or was it their second album, was it? Uh, I should know that. But um, um, we love Christy Dignam and we're thinking of him. Uh, one of our musical heroes this evening and uh, and his health battle and uh, we hope he's comfortable that's all I'm saying on that uh, thank you for listening look after yourselves and one another and we'll speak again tomorrow you and me at 5 o'clock UK time <laughs>